Welcome to the Buick Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Sheldon Marion, and on this podcast, we dive deep into the outdoors. We discuss hunting and fishing techniques, give you tips and tricks, tell stories, and everything in between to help you enjoy the outdoors. This podcast is brought to you by Northbound Gear. Northbound Gear is designed for maneuverability and durability and is made to last through even the toughest of elements. My go-to for their pants is the Water Resistance Adventure Pants and their lined waterproof jeans. I've worn them while out ice fishing, crawling through the woods bear hunting, and on the west coast out on the boat. And I even wear them around when I'm having a lazy day at the house. They are that comfortable. They also offer jackets, summer pants, backpacks, and many more. Men's and women's sizes are available, and by partnering with One Tree Planted, you're planting a tree with every purchase. Check them out for yourself at northboundgear.co, and when you use my promo code SHELDON15 at checkout, you'll receive 15% off your order. That's northboundgear.co and promo code SHELDON15. This podcast is brought to you by Rampage Coffee. Rampage Coffee is crafted in micro-batches to produce a premium quality coffee that is just not possible any other way. Step up your coffee game and get amped with premium quality freshly roasted coffee. Right now I'm waiting on the sampler bundle where you get to try all four blends for around $20. It comes with a full force premium espresso, code black dark roast, riot medium roast, the C4 extreme caffeine blend, and it also comes with some pretty cool looking stickers. If you head over to rampagecoffee.com and use our promo code Buick, you'll receive 10% off. That's rampagecoffee.com, promo code B-U-I-C-K to get 10% off and get amped with Rampage Coffee. Well, welcome back to another Buick Outdoors podcast. Uh, recently here, somebody asked me to do a podcast about uh, Prince Rupert, but I think what I'm going to be doing is just kind of doing the West Coast in general. Uh, there's way too many amazing stories uh, just about the ocean itself that I don't really want to just pinpoint it to one specific area. Uh, especially, uh, when it comes to one of my first trips, if not the first trip to the ocean, uh, that I went on, I was pretty, pretty young guy there. I was probably about, I think I was 12 or 13 years old and we headed out to a place called Port Renfrew and it's on the west side of Vancouver Island. Uh, what you'd kind of call like the outside, because on the west side there, they call it the outside because you, you're not in any protected waters whatsoever. It's Vancouver Island, water, the next stop is pretty well Asia or Russia. And uh, man, you know, it was, uh, <laughs> it was an amazing trip for me, uh, not so much for pretty well everybody else. <laughs> but it's one of those places where it made me feel uh, like I felt the true uh, strength of the ocean and what Mother Nature is capable of. And in a sense, it almost made me feel like I conquered the ocean. And uh, you'll know what I'm talking about when I get into this because, man, we got into some massive, massive water while we were out there. Uh, pretty well, it was me, Blaine, my brother, my dad, Shane, and my stepmom, Karen, 
and we took a charter out there. I can't remember the charter's name. I really wish I could remember because, man, that guy, he needs a, a, <laughs> a huge shout-out and a thumbs-up, same as the Kingfisher Boats. But uh, anyways, we went out there, and I want to say the first couple of days was just like a normal fishing trip or whatever, and we caught our limits on the days that we went out there, and it was just phenomenal fishing. Uh, the coho fishing was absolutely amazing. The coho, they were like 25 to 30 feet of water kind of thing, and then the big Chinooks, they were all down underneath, but you, you couldn't get your hooks down fast enough to get through like that layer of coho to get to the chinook and oh man the amount of fish that we caught was just absolutely phenomenal and uh out there too in that specific area of the fishery there you didn't have to use any bait uh for the most part we just used spoon hooks and i think the odd hoochie but 90 percent of the time it was just a black and silver spoon there's one other little addition to that spoon hook, but, you know, I can't give you all my secrets. But with that, you know, it was just a regular old setup. Hook it onto your downrigger, send it down, and a lot of times as you were sending your, your hook down, it would pop off the clip and you had a coho, you reel it in. And our guide there, I want to say his name was John, but I'm not 100% not sure. He didn't even use a net when it came to bringing the fish into the boat he just had his gaff and man the amount of times you'd just you'd be sending your hook down it come off the down of your clip you reel it in be a nice little coho you know like that kind of uh, whatever eight ten pounds ish he just reach over with his gaff and pop get him in the head pull him in you pop the hook out throw the hook over board string out a little bit of line hooking into your down of your clip and back down to the water it went, and it was like a, uh, I don't even know if it was five minutes, and you'd be on to another coho, like, it was just, oh, it was just incredible, and then every once in a while, you were able to get through the coho, and down into the deeper water, and I think it might have to do something to do with maybe how, like, the Gulf Stream kind of comes up, maybe they like the warmer water up top maybe the chinooks like the colder water down below or it could be the fresh water sits on top and the salt water is kind of lower because of all the lakes and rivers and stuff that kind of drain into the ocean around there so that might have something to do with it but when you did get through the coho and you got into the chinook man we caught some big chinook somewhere 10 or 15 pounds but i landed i believe it was three that were all over 20 pounds uh, one was 25 and the other one was 26 or 27 I think something like that and it was just a phenomenal fishing trip like I know I use phenomenal a lot but man it it just just mind-blowing at how good the fishing was over there and then uh, our guide at the time too he used what you call knuckle busters they're mooching reels and basically what they are is if you've seen a fly rod or a fly reel it's just a big uh circle kind of thing like for your uh for your handle it's just two little knobs that come off the side and there is a drag system on it but they don't work overly too good for the most part when a fish grabs a line and runs there is some tension but the majority of the time what you end up doing is you cup the bottom of the reel with your hand 
So when the reel is kind of in the palm, and then as the fish is running out, the spool doesn't just turn, the whole reel turns. So in the, those two little knobs that you have for your handle, they spin like crazy. So if you're not uh, really paying attention and a fish grabs it and starts running, those knobs start to spin. And if you're sitting there cranking on it and you let it go and that fish starts to run, those knobs come up and they hit every single one of your knuckles and it <laughs> it's at high rate of speed too. That's what they call the knuckle buster. But thankfully for me at the time, I was huge into fly fishing. So for me, I seen that as just a, big fly rod and that's basically what it is and uh, so me reeling in the fish I had no problems whatsoever but I know Blaine dad and Karen they had quite a bit of issues just because they're, they're used to just like what you'd call like a normal fishing reel where at the time I was used to a fly rod being a normal fishing reel for me so I was just slaying them but uh, the one day that we went out the weather was not that good when we left and we trolled for some salmon and that's when people started getting a little bit of seasickness and we did catch some and then at slack tide we went out and we anchored up or no I don't think we did anchor up out there I think we just drifted out there and uh, what ended up happening is the weather kind of took a turn for the worst. Uh, while we were salmon fishing, the the wind started coming out of the west. And when that happens, it's just, it's wide open ocean. So when that hits you, it just hits you hard. And then the waves started to come up. So we were still able to troll for a couple more hours. But it went from, uh, I think it was Karen that got sick first. And so when it was me, Blaine, and Dad out back fishing, and then Blaine got sick, so it was me and Dad fishing, and then Dad got sick, so it was me fishing, and then with so many fish getting caught, uh, it ended up being me and the guide fishing, and man, it was uh, it was quite the experience. Uh, I was pretty proficient at the time with fishing, even at such a young age, where pretty well he had the left side of the boat, I had the right side, and man, we just kept slaying the fish, and it was kind of funny, because at one point in time there, I was reeling in a fish, I want to say John, he was reeling in a fish, Karen was in the front of the boat, puking in a bucket, which unfortunately had holes in it <laughs> we didn't know at the time until she went to pack it out and she was just kind of leaking everywhere <laughs> and then on the port side of the boat dad was puking overboard starboard side Blaine was puking on the side of the boat and then there's just me me and the guide in the middle just kind of taking turns reeling in fish gaffing netting whatever and we end up getting our limit of fish but then on that day is the day I caught my two really big Chinook on that trip. Uh, the one was like 24, 25 pounds. The other one was like that 26, 27 pounds kind of a thing. Just two monstrous Chinook salmon. And then I want to say that the weather kind of, sort of, started to get a little bit better. And then that's when we went out 
and started halibut fishing. And then when you're halibut fishing too, uh, you know, when you're trolling, the boat is moving. And then with the waves and stuff, you know, you have your forward momentum. And then with the waves and water and stuff, you have your up and down momentum. So with that, yeah, oh, it was just, it was extremely hard on the guys. And then two, when we were trolling for salmon, I want to say that we could kind of see shore. I can't, I can't remember 100% of the details, but there was something else to it that just made the seasickness worse for them. Maybe it was just being in the cab or whatever, but anyways, we ended up going and we started fishing for halibut. And when we first started fishing for halibut, I want to say Blaine and Dad, they were starting to feel a little bit better. Maybe they took some gravel or something like that. So there was more than just one guy fishing out back. But it was it was amazing how big the water got because the weather went from bad to worse to just like this is really bad. And I remember getting into the swells and pretty well it was just a wall of water. And as you're sitting there jigging for halibut, you know, you have your great big uh what is that, about a one pound ball? On your T-bar. And then on the other end you have your hooks with your herring on it and stuff. And normally what you do when you're fishing for halibut. Is you have your halibut rig all set up. And you sit there and you bounce it off the bottom a few times. And then you pick it up. And you let it sit there for a minute or two. Then you bounce it off the bottom a couple more. And you know it, it kind of eventually brings them in. Especially with like the vibrations on the the ocean floor kind of a thing. The, the vibrations, the fish can really sense that, and it really brings them in. Same thing if you're using, like, butt juice and stuff like that. Uh, you know, they might feel the vibrations, then they get the scent of the, the butt juice, and then they come in, and they get the scent of the herring, or they see it, and then they come in and eat it, right? Uh, but on that day, there was no jigging for us whatsoever. It was just put in the rod holder and just, let the ocean do its thing because those swells were so big you would you'd come up to the top of the swell and your rod would just kind of bend over and you would be anywhere near the bottom and then you come into the bottom of the swell and pretty well your halibut jig it would hit the bottom and then you'd get into the bottom of the swell and you'd have all this line start to spool up kind of a thing because those swells got so massive and uh I don't even remember if we really caught any halibut. I think what happened is we went out there to try for halibut. And once we were there for uh, whatever it was, maybe an hour, uh, things just just got out of hand. It got very, very bad. Uh, we started to jig. Well, kind of. The waves were jigging for us. And the swells just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually what ended up happening is you get into the bottom of the swell. So like, you know, you have kind of like a wave or whatever. You get right into the bottom of it. And if you look to your left, it was water. If you look to your right, it was water. And then you're in like a funnel almost. Like it was, <laughs> to me, it was cool. But then what would freak you out is when you start coming up out of that swell, you'd be on top, 
and you'd look over, and instead of seeing a wall of water, you'd see, like, a container ship. And, like, those things are several hundred feet long, a couple hundred feet high. Well, maybe not a couple hundred, but they're huge. They are massive. When you see them out in a port somewhere, you know, it's you can't really fathom how big those ships are. And when we were on the top of the swell, you'd look over, you'd see that sucker. But then he would get into a swell. And you'd look back over, and just it was whatever. A two-second turn, you'd look, that boat was gone. You couldn't see him because he'd be in the bottom of the swell. And then all of a sudden, he would slowly start to pop up. And as he's popping up, you're going back down. And you look over, and instead of seeing nothing but water, or nothing but kind of ocean or whatever, you see this wall of water right there in your face. And so you start going back and forth like that. And I think it was starting to freak the other guys out. For me, I was just in awe. I was just like, oh, my God. Like, this is cool. Like, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> but then all of a sudden, you'd pop up, and then you'd both be up on top of a swell. And then you'd go down, and you'd see nothing but water. You'd come up. The boat was gone. And then you'd kind of, oh, it was just a really cool cycle that we were doing. But when it got to that point, the guy said, nope, that's it. We have got to go. We've got to go now. And on our way back into port, this is, on that day, it cemented in me that Kingfisher Boats is the absolute premium number one boat to ever be built, like, if I buy an aluminum boat, don't even try to give me a boat for free. I'm buying a Kingfisher because of this day. Uh, you know, like, you couldn't give me a Lund. You couldn't give me a Hughescraft. I will gladly spend over $100,000 on a Kingfisher boat because I know what they're capable of. And I've seen what they're capable of because the water was so big. That when we were going in, you would pretty well, you had to climb the waves. So you'd be at full throttle, full power. And right when you get to the crest of that wave, you'd have to crank her back into neutral. So in that way you didn't actually jump the wave and launch it. So you just kind of crested, come down, the bow would smash into the, the other side of the wave. And then basically what you'd have to do is hit full power, nosedive into the next swell, punch through and go into the water and hope that nothing breaks or your motor doesn't shut down because as you're diving basically into a wave, you have to have enough power and momentum to push through and break out as you're about a quarter of the way up the next wave and then have enough power to climb that wave and once you get to the top, again, cut it, go back into neutral, crest that wave, and do it over and over and over again. And, oh, we made it into shore, and I was just like, let's turn around and go back out. Because, oh, man, like it, <laughs> as a kid seeing that, having everybody sick around you, and like, it's me and the old captain there. We're the only ones that were just pretty well hanging out, enjoying the scenery and going, man, this is wicked. 
I'm pretty sure maybe now I might be a little more scared. I might have a little more sense in my brain. But uh, at the time, I thought that was just the coolest thing I have ever seen in my life. And like, I'm telling you, that has cemented into my memory. I will never forget. Uh, uh, it's just, uh, <laughs> it was amazing. And uh, so, yeah. So for that being one of the first trips out on the ocean, and that day, it just, it made it feel like I conquered the ocean. Like, I've seen the power of what she has. I've been through the shit. And we survived. We made her. And now I'm just, like, absolutely hooked. Hats off to our guide and to Kingfisher Boats. And, you know, like, uh, it was just exhilarating. <laughs> Uh, but since then, uh, you know, there's been uh, there's been a few times now where we have been overly cautious. Uh, if we ever see a day where in the afternoon it looks like the weather's going to take a turn for the worst, uh, there's been times where we just don't even go. Or if we do go out, we just kind of stick close and do some crabbing or something like that just to get out on the water. But uh, definitely don't go out. Uh, in that sort of weather and really test our luck. Uh, you know, and one thing I've noticed too is if you ever, if you're going to go fishing somewhere and you go down to the docks and you see a bunch of boats that are 22 feet and bigger and the majority of them are kingfisher, you best buy gravel because they go out in any and all weather and they can handle pretty much any and all weather if you see a couple of guys running smaller boats and stuff like that okay you can you're okay but if you're starting to see a lot of the 28 25s 30 25 offshores <laughs> enclosed cabins with diesel heaters and stuff you are going to be in for some rough weather or potentially some rough weather and uh man you know i i have nothing but good things to say about kingfisher boats and, uh, you know, they've proven themselves time and time again. Like, if you see a bunch of, like, Boston Whalers and Bayliners or whatever, like a whole pile of fiberglass stuff, you're in pretty safe waters. But, like I said, if you go down to that dock and you see a bunch of, like, 30-foot offshore Kingfisher boats, yeah, you best hold on. <laughs> Some of the other trips that we've done too, uh, you know, like down the Portland Canal, that's another really special place. Uh, there's a lot of, well, there used to be a lot of floating docks and stuff. I think over the years, uh, some of the storms and stuff have really destroyed uh, a good majority of the floating docks. But there was, there was lots of times where even back when dad had his first ocean boat, that was like a... I don't even know, a 1970s special fiberglass kind of a thing. Uh, it was not exactly like a liveaboard, but there was a cuddy cabin in it. And, uh, you know, like the the kitchen table folded down into kind of a twin-size bed. And there might have been a heater, not a heater, a cook stove in there. But, uh, yeah, even in the back of the boat there, 
you know, you had the the inboard motor, but where it sat was like real high up on the in the boat. So you had this great big huge box. It was hard to kind of walk around, but we made her work with that thing for. Uh, it might have only been one season, maybe two. I can't quite remember. But with that one, when we took that out, we went out down the Portland Canal and we uh, tied up to one of the floating docks that used to be out there. And you know, the fishing was was good, I guess. I don't really remember too much of the fishing on that trip. But what I do remember is getting back to the docks uh, kind of in the late afternoon, early evenings kind of a thing. And that's where I had just the most fun uh, on that trip anyways. Because on one side of the dock, I had my crab trap. And on the other side of the dock, I had our halibut rig out. And I was catching flounder. And what I'd do is I'd catch a flounder using like a whatever piece of herring or smelt or anchovy. And I'd reel them in. I'd kind of dispatch them or however you want to call it. And I'd kind of cut them up hook them into the crab traps, drop the crab trap down, let that sit for whatever, 20, 30 minutes while I used another piece of herring or whatever to catch a couple more flounder from an next crab trap. And once that 20, 30 minutes ran up, I would grab my crab trap, pull it up, and that one spot that we were at, the, the one trap, it was a hoop net, and usually with a hoop net, if you catch like twenty or thirty crab in there, like that's a that's a good haul. Uh, the one day I had, I think it was, I want to say sixty something crab in there. Like it was, it was so full, I had a hard time pulling it up. And as I'm pulling it up, they were all funneling off the top and just kind of jumping out and abandoning ship. And then when I got it up to the uh to the dock you had to kind of swing it out slightly because there's just great big logs that you're kind of floating on and i had to get blaine to come over and help me pick that thing up and onto onto the dock because it was so heavy i couldn't pick it up and then what i end up doing with the crab is you would you find the ones that are legal and we would keep i don't know maybe three or four kind of a thing and i'd clean them up and I'd take their gills, and then I'd use their gills, put that on my, my halibut rig, and I'd use the gills from the crab to catch the flounder, and then the crab would be cooking in the pot while I caught more flounder. I'd catch a flounder, bring it up, use that for bait for the crab, and then we just started going back and forth for, like, the rest of the trip. So it started out with, like, two pieces of herring or whatever, to start with and then after that it was just a vicious circle of life for the poor buggers and then we ate like absolute kings and i think that was the same trip where uh one of the guys from stewart he had uh, a pretty big yacht kind of a thing he came in and he tied up to the dock and he either him or one of his crew there was like an executive chef kind of a thing and we just reached down underneath that uh, floating dock and we just grabbed handfuls of mussels. We gave it to the guy. He cleaned them all up, cooked them all up, and they tasted absolutely amazing for the first couple of bites. And then, you know, the taste of mussel kind of kicked in afterwards. So I didn't really like them because it was, he made it in like some uh, garlic 
butter, white wine sauce kind of thing. Like it was, it tasted great. But then once that sauce kind of worn off, then it was, you just got kind of slapped in the chin by fish. Like, ugh. Like, and not just like a little fish. Like it was fishy. It was gross. Blaine liked it though. He just kept eating it and he'd mouth down on a whole pile of mussels. But uh, yeah, that trip, you know, just, in the evenings, we'd tie up to the dock. I'd catch all my crab and my flounder, and oh, it was a blast. And then, and then at night, we'd all just sleep in the boat. And in the morning, you'd wake up, fire up your motors, warm everything up. You would drive about a hundred yards. You're fishing, and man, those little trips like that is amazing. I love that way more than having to go into town every day. I don't, I don't like that. Uh, you know, the driving back into town thing, it just, I don't like it. You know, especially when you're out on the ocean, you're surrounded by just this amazing place. And like, you don't want to leave, especially to go back into like a city. Uh, you know, it's, it's not for me, but being out on the ocean and staying out there, it's, you, know, you can't get any better. And, uh, in Prince Rupert, there's a place uh, down the work channel, I can't quite remember the name of the place, something Cove, Sunshine Cove or something like that, I'd have to, I have to look it up here, but they have floating cabins out there, and you're able to rent those, uh, by the night, and possibly by the week, too, and, like, it's kind of the same thing as, like, the floating docks down the Portland Canal, where you come in, you tie your boat up, you go into these, well, there, there's cabins, you're not sleeping on your boat. And then they also have, like, the bathrooms and stuff like that, and electric heats. And they have a generator out there as well. And uh, on-demand hot water, too. They run it through a little propane heater. But it's just, uh, it's so nice on the work channel, especially if you go out there in June or July. Uh, the cabins themselves, if you get, like, one of the cheaper ones, it's basically like a couple of bunk beds and in a room, you know, and that's about it. But I mean, really, that's doesn't take much to keep me happy. And then there are a couple of other ones that are, uh, I wouldn't call them uptown, but it's like an actual cabin setting. And uh, we didn't get those ones just because they're, they're quite a bit more to rent. Uh, but anyways, yeah, you, you pull in there after a day of fishing. They have a fish cleaning table. They have like a communal uh, spot with the picnic tables all set up. And there's uh, two barbecues there. And then a couple of uh, like little single burner stoves and stuff. So you can cook all your, your meals outside there. And then they have the on-demand uh, on hot water right there too. You just turn on the tap once the water starts going through there. The propane burner kicks on. You have just flowing hot water and... During the day, they fire up their generator at whatever time, say 6 a.m. or whatever, so you can run your coffee pot or whatever. That might be a little bit later. We weren't we weren't really around that much in the morning. Uh, we got up and out of bed and gone kind of thing. We just made our coffee with the percolator. But, uh, yeah, when you come back, generator's running, so you have lights and everything like that and uh, flushable toilets. And it's, it's a phenomenal place. And especially if you go there in June or July, uh, the humpback whales 
cruise through there a lot and there's quite a few pods that come uh, kind of come through there and it is amazing when it's like 10 30 11 12 o'clock at night kind of thing and you're sitting on one of the little lawn chairs that's on the very end of the dock and you're just looking out on the work channel and the pod of whales come through and they're only like a couple hundred yards away and you're sitting in there and it's just silent because they shut off the generators at, I believe, 10 o'clock at night or something like that. Maybe a little bit earlier. But anyways, generators are shut off. It's nice and quiet. Quiet. It's silent. And all you hear are these humpback whales and you just hear the... And man, I'm telling you, when you're sitting there and... Uh, like if you if you have you know you're on vacation you have your whiskey and coke or a beer or you have your bottle of water or a pop or you're just sitting there reading a book with a headlamp on kind of thing and you start hearing those whales come in you just stop what you're doing you put everything down and you just like tilt your head back close your eyes and like you're on a floating dock so like the dock is slightly moving you hear the pot of whales coming through and you want to talk about a peaceful, beautiful moment, you got to head out to the work channel and you've got to give that a go. Like, it is just spectacular. And then also out there, uh, there's this thing called bioluminescence. And I don't exactly know where in the world it also happens at, but the work channel is one of these places. And it's where... The plankton in the water, when it's disturbed, it lets off a light. Uh, some places, it's like a real bright green. Other places, it's a bright blue. In the work channel, it was kind of like a mixture. It almost looks like the color of Northern Lights kind of a thing, where it's like that bluish-greenish tinge. And uh, basically what happens is, at night, if you disturb the water whatever reacts with the plankton and stuff, it throws off that light. And it is one of the coolest looking things you can see. Uh, for me, I disturbed the water with pee. <laughs> we all kind of took our turns, just kind of standing there and peeing off the side of the dock. We're like, oh, wow, hey, guys, come look at this. <laughs> so we were all kind of taking a leak in the water and just checking it out. It was pretty cool. And then, you know, we end up having to use like a bottle of water or whatever. But yeah, if you disturb the water, the plankton lights up and uh, it's just like a beautiful light show. It's just sparkles and stuff. It is, it is so cool. And then also while you're there during the day and you're cleaning out your fish at the fish table, there's all these small little, uh, I want to call them something rather pickerel or perch or something like that. There's these little tiny fish. They're maybe three inches, some are four inches long. And they are there by the thousands. You put anything in the water and they look like a bunch of piranhas. They just come in and just devour whatever it is that you dropped into the water. So like there's lots of times we'll be cleaning out our fish and I'll stop and I'll just like cut up like whatever the eggs and I just kind of throw in like a small handful just to watch all these fish come up and start chewing on this this stuff. And uh, uh, it's pretty neat. So if you have 
kids and stuff like that, don't be afraid uh, to bring like a knife fishing rod. Give them a small little J hook and try catching a couple of them because I'm pretty sure you're allowed to uh, to keep them. I was looking into them a while ago and yeah, there's there was a limit on them if it was the right fish. I'm, I'd have to double check, but man, it was fun. Even if you can't uh, keep any, whatever, let a kid catch them, pull them off the hook, throw them back. And then while you're there too, you know, you got the seals and you got the kingfisher and all the the eagles flying around. And, uh, you know, it's just, when you go to the ocean, there's so many sights and sounds and smells and even just like feelings. Like when you're, when you get one of those perfect, beautiful ocean mornings where the water is just like glass there's not a ripple, there's not a drop of water, there's not even a cloud in the sky, it's just beautiful, bright blue sunny day, it's calm as can be, it's like slack tide, the water looks like glass, and even when you're cruising in the boat, it's the sound and the feeling of the boat just going just smooth in a straight line and all you hear is just the odd little spray off the side of the boat and it's just a little tss, tss, tss. and you're just cruising and like there's no way to really describe it it's something that you have to feel while you're there but I'm, I guarantee you if you're ever out there on one of those days and you, you look around and you have one of them you're going to go oh now I know what that crazy character Sheldon was talking about like this is this is just <laughs> I get it you know what I mean like oh man then there's also a couple of spots out there too where you know like the lighthouses there's nothing special about it there's nothing crazy but like every time you see the lighthouse up there on the one big rock and you see this big red and white lighthouse and it just for whatever reason just puts a smile on your face you know it i man i don't know the ocean to me there's something about it that just i'm sure it draws everybody into it like we are just meant to be there or something i don't know what it is and then there's also the buoys too there's one that we kind of fish by and uh big red buoy and then when the water's moving a little bit it just tilts from side to side and you just get that nice little ding 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 that mixed with the sound of your trolling motor going and the sound of your downriggers whistling and just the smell of the ocean and the smell of the ocean breeze like uh it's one of those things i'm telling you I I probably sound like some weirdo, you know, but whatever. Like it's it's something that I think everybody should have the opportunity to try out, and uh, you know, it might not be for everybody, but for the people that do appreciate it, they appreciate it a lot. Uh, I know several people that have gone ocean fishing once or twice. And the next year, not even the next year, as they're on their way home, they're looking at buying their own boat. You know what I mean? Like, it has that much power. And, uh, man, I 
<laughs> for me, it was day one, Fort Renfrew. For other people, like my dad, it was kind of Kitimat and uh, the Portland Canal. And for Blaine, might have been the Portland Canal, could have been Prince Rupert. But, uh, man, eventually I think everybody just falls in love with the ocean, and it's for good reason. Uh, it is such a beautiful and amazing place. But if you try to take her head on, she will rear her head up and kick you right in the ass. And she will tell you that she is in charge, not you. You're just a piece of flesh floating around. <laughs> so it, uh, yeah, as much, you know, maybe that's something to do with the, uh, the draw to it too. There's so much beauty in it and... It's just uh, an amazing place to go and to see. But at the end of the day, in the back of your mind, it's like, man, this thing has the absolute power to kick the shit out of me at any given moment. And she don't care who you are, where you're from, whatever. When you're on the ocean, you're on the ocean. You're playing by her rules. <laughs> but anyways, guys, I hope uh, I hope that was a, a nice little episode for you guys to listen to. Uh if you guys have any other recommendations or you want me to go into more details on something, you know, please let me know. Comment on our uh, our YouTube channel uh, or send me a message over there on Facebook and uh, I'll see what I can do. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed watching. I hope you enjoyed listening. Uh, yeah, get out there. Enjoy the water. Enjoy the woods. And uh, if you like this kind of stuff, Please like our uh, like the video, subscribe to the channel, and we'll catch you on the next one.